0: Welcome, fellow traveler. You are now listening to the Tent Theology Podcast. Each week, we have a tent talk where we pursue the renewing of the Christian social and political imagination.
1: I'm really excited about today's program. I got to talk to Terry M. Wildman a few weeks ago. Terry Wildman is a member of the Ojibwe and Yaki Tribes. He is the lead translator, general editor, and project manager for the First Nations version of the New Testament, which came out a couple of months ago. Terry serves as the Director of Spiritual Growth and Leadership Development for Native InterVarsity. Terry and his wife Darlene also operate Rain Ministries, where they are singer-songwriters, storytellers, and worship leaders based out of Arizona. Every once in a while, I make mention on the social media about a book that I'm reading, or an author that I'm about to interview, and I ask for some responses. And my little message about the First Nations version of the New Testament attracted more attention than these kind of messages normally do. So I knew there'd be something here. This has captured the imagination of a lot of people, native and non-native alike. I talked with Terry about this and what he thought was happening when non-native people such as myself are really inspired and attracted to the First Nations versions. That he has been writing. It really is a fantastic project, and I do heartily recommend it. But listen to this interview with Terry Wildman and decide for yourself whether you don't think that what he's onto is something good. Now, I, I've done... I tried to do my Google research. Are you a doctor or a professor or a... What do I call you, Terry?
2: Uh, Terry's good.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, you, these titles are important. If they're important, I want to make sure that we say them. But
2: Well, I, you know, I'm a believer who walks in the Jesus way. I have... Um, for my native heritage, I have Ojibwe and Yaqui ancestry. Okay. And uh, so... Terry's good. Terry's good. Okay. Well, I'm yeah. Stephen.
1: It's such a, a privilege and a joy to have you here. And uh, I must say, right from the start, I've had more interest about this interview right now from amongst the listeners than I have about anybody else. So uh, so no pressure, Terry, but I'm very glad to have you on the tent. And um, welcome.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, miigwetch. Thank you for having me. Um, I'll just say a little thing that Natives... Uh, Native North Americans are more famous in your country than they are in mine. So, just to let you know, that might be some of the interest.
1: Maybe that's it. So, yeah, we could, we'll talk about that in a little bit actually, about your views of why this has been interesting. So, first of all, Terry, can you tell us a little bit where are you actually? You said you're coming from North America. Where in North America are you calling in from right now?
2: Well, my wife and I live uh, on the traditional lands of the Pima and the Tohono Odom in a town that's now called Maricopa, Arizona, about 20 miles south of Phoenix, Arizona.
1: And have you, is this where you were born and bred or have you always lived down there?
2: No, I I, I was born, both my wife and I were born and raised in Michigan. Oh, okay. So uh, Michigan is the land of the Anishinaabeg, uh, the Three Fires, the Ojibwe, the Potawatomi, and the Ottawa or Odawa, as um, uh, many of us call them. I grew up in Michigan, but we're kind of liking Arizona right now. We made a lot of relationships out here, and and, uh, we just like the weather.
1: Was it just the weather that brought you to Arizona, or was there some work related to it? Oh, there was
2: a a lot of work related to it. I've lived in Arizona for many, many years. We lived, my wife and I lived uh, on the Hopi Indian Reservation in Northern Arizona, the Hopi are very, one of the most traditional peoples, uh, Native peoples left, uh, that have held on to their traditions uh, more, most successfully, but they're, part of the reason is they live very remotely up in the high country of Arizona, and so we lived there for five years with the Hopi, learned a lot about traditional ways, learned about traditional people, learned about the failures of Christianity to uh, among the Hopi and why why so few of them uh, follow Jesus or, or or confess to follow Jesus
1: so I'm originally from Canada and of course the the right now Canada is is caught in the grip of national grieving national denial I'm not sure what's going on about the um residential schools scandal right and right I, uh, and and I I have to say it's from from my well I'll let you tell us maybe a little bit more what you think is going on. But from my point of view, as a white Canadian Christian, looking at the scandal of the uh, Anglican and Catholic churches being paid by the Canadian government to hold these residential schools, which essentially just beat what what was the phrase that beat the Indian out of the children, kill the Indian, save the man. And, and 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 they've discovered now just hundreds of unmarked graves and mass graves of children. And it's just, it makes me think why 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 would any native person be a christian oh yeah you know and and i'd, love, sure. to, I'd love to press you on this as well but I, i'm looking at it thinking yeah screw it i don't want to have anything to do with christianity if that's what it does you know i i wonder what it's like to be a a, a missionary to hopi or a working with hopi people when they look at you and go, why are you with these people? Why are you with the Christians? Well,
2: for me, uh, I wasn't raised in my native heritage, my, my native culture. I was actually raised outside of it, like a lot of our native people are. And so I, I didn't connect. And so it wasn't until I was an adult, until uh, I, I really felt creator's call in my life. Uh, and I had become a believer in Jesus. And I didn't experience the, the emotional and physical trauma that many of our, our native people have experienced and and so that, that that trauma wasn't passed down to me through my family. I just had some family stories about, well yes, your great grandfather is uh is Chippewa and grandma says uh your your her mother was uh, a Yaqui from uh Sonora, Mexico. Um but I always had this this part of me that goes, I wonder about that part of me. My ancestry, and so uh, as an adult, um, I was able to get in there. But what began to happen, it caused a true, real crisis of faith. I thought I had all the answers. I, I, you know, I, I had, I was a evangelical, you know, kind of raised a little Baptist, a little Assembly of God, a little this and that, and and uh, I thought I had the great answers, and 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 then I ran into uh, people who had been oppressed by. People who claim to follow Jesus and it blew my mind. And then I, I, I thought not only oppressed, but sometimes, you know, just mistreated, abused, uh, killed, then to have it all covered up and kind of pushed under the rug and people pretending it, what it, it, it either never happened. Or when you bring it up, sometimes they say, Oh, that, that didn't happen. You're making that up, you know? Uh, and different things like that. So, I had my own personal crisis.
1: What were the some of the voices that you had to let go of, and which ones did you turn to? Who were your guides through this? This
2: time, wow. Well, one of the things that that helped me in this whole process uh, in feeling called to connect with our native people, I knew I had so much to learn. How can I? How can you bring the message of Jesus to a people that where you might have genetic heritage with but no no solid connection but feeling called to do that and so so i had to seek out are there other believers in jesus who are following him and so and part of the thing was i i kind of jumped the gun a little bit and got involved with natives and i kind of had to get smacked up in the face with it not knowing how to answer. There are people, there are native people who are theologizing, who are believers in Jesus, who are addressing a lot of these issues, uh, some with more anger, some with more reasoning, um, and all the in-betweens. Um, but for, my, for myself, I, Richard Twist's Who uh, a Lakota man? He wrote a book called "One Church, Many Tribe." He also wrote a book called "Rescuing Theology from the Cowboys."
1: I can't. I want to read that so much. I've heard his name, but I've never encountered his books before. Okay.
2: Well, Richard was uh, a leader among Native people in uh, what Turtle Island, what is today the United States, and he became a voice to say. As a Lakota man, do I have to completely abandon my Lakota culture to follow Jesus? And he would speak on this. He would talk about it. Finally, he wrote a book about it. So that his writings and meeting him and spending time with him, and and actually experiencing some mentorship from him, really helped me uh, with wrestle through some of my own questions, and then also to be able to answer and give an answer. Uh, which the biggest answer I often give is, You're right. Yeah. All those things happened. Yeah. It was awful. It's so a big part of what I do is try to convince people that this wasn't Jesus. This was people who were falsely representing who he is, he would not behave in these ways. Now, I know these people also were caught up in their own deceptions. They had their own cultural issues and blinders on, which was part of the whole process. So it's never just simply there were bad people. It was people who were caught up in a bad system. And, and that bad system gave them, they gave into that without realizing they weren't following Jesus anymore. They were following the this system, this, this uh, pseudo-Christian system.
1: Well, I wanted to talk with you about that because did you did you say you you came from an evangelical background or was that who was forming your spiritual imagination? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you work for you still work for an evangelical organization, I think.
2: Oh, I do. I work with uh, a native native intervarsity. okay, yeah. Uh, uh, And I work also a little bit with crew, but I'm actually on staff with native intervarsity. I I mentor um, the native staff that are that are uh, in that branch of of, uh, intervarsity
1: because one of the things so i grew up evangelical as well and 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 one of the things that is a really overriding concern of evangelicals is that kind of um there's a real desire to have a sentimental good like saved on the last page like you you, you can't leave things bad you and it's a real lack of, of systematic awareness right it's very much like individual salvation as long as somebody has their turn to jesus moment and and We don't want to hear about the pain that happened 100 years ago, 50 years ago. We want to hear about what Jesus has done for you right now so that we can, I guess, feel happy about ourselves, right? Right,
2: right. No, just the other day I was reading through the part in the beginning of the gospel when John the Baptist is introduced, and it said people came confessing their sins. And I'm thinking, what were they confessing? And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, they were probably confessing the sins of their nation. They knew they were connected to this nation that was doing horrible things. And so they were confessing not only maybe some personal sins were involved in that, their participation in it, their not knowing how to escape out of it, uh, whatever it was uh, that they were. uh, But it doesn't say exactly what they were confessing. You know, and so you kind of leaves you a little bit like thinking it was all personal. Well, I think it was very national because the, the people of Israel were very, they understood themselves in a national perspective as a covenant people with a nationality.
1: Well, also, now we're getting into the First Nations version here, right? This is what I, this is, this is the occasion. A lot happens when you realize the New Testament was written by indigenous people who are under the thumb of a foreign invading power, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And and uh, and the, the decolonizing, if any of my listeners want to decolonize their Christian imagination, can I please recommend them to run, don't walk to their nearest bookshop and get the First Nations version of the New Testament, which is why we're here today, Terry. Can you tell us about the First Nations version? Where did it come from?
2: I'll give you the short story. I know I you've lived... talked
1: about this many times. So yeah, I'll... that's
2: okay. I'm, I'm trying to hone it a little bit here. <laughs> Back about uh, over 20 years ago, Darlene and I were living among the Hopi, and I, I was looking for ways to share Jesus in a culturally relevant way uh, with a lot of the men. I worked in jail ministry and different things, and, I, and we would do your standard evangelical Bible studies, and forgive me, but they were not connecting. I could tell they weren't connecting. Uh, fill in the blank you know, kind of paperwork you hand out to everybody. And I'm just sitting there going, this isn't, this is not working. So I started, uh, first of all, I started using a talking circle model for ministry, which is really different than your standard evangelical model, but where where you go around a talking circle and everybody gets a chance to talk and share their perspective and their ideas. And one person doesn't get to control everything that's going on in in that talking circle you have to listen and give respect so slowly with the help of other hopies I, I just experimented with rewording portions of scripture using more english expressions because we discovered that that uh, uh over 90% of our native people uh weren't speaking the language not in any fluent sense and even less were reading those Bibles that were translated into that language, the Hopi Bible, I couldn't find anyone in until uh, way later, someone introduced me to a Hopi pastor who could read it a little bit of it, not all of it. Um, so I'm thinking, well, if we, if our native people aren't reading these Bibles, why don't we have a, an English translation that speaks more, uh, through, through the culture, through, through, um, uh, kind of a native expression. And some people said, you can't do that. You know, that's impossible. Uh, no one will read it. Um, no one will take it seriously. I mean, I had all this stuff and it took me nine years of, of all that negative feedback before, uh, I'll say it this way, before I, God finally convinced me I, I was supposed to do it, you know? And so uh, through lots of confirmation, it took nine years of resisting the idea and plus the idea that who me, who would ever read it? translation by Terry Wildman, who's he, you know? And so uh, uh, all that began to, you know, over the years, but as I I still practiced all this and I created a CD, my wife and I are are musicians, we're recording artists, we blend and and bring the cultures together through our music, Native and non-Native culture. And so we created a CD called The Great Story from the Sacred Book. And we took all out all the Christianese, we took all all, all the church language, we gave ev- every person the meaning of their name, um, and we told that story with no other explanation except that the Creator sets free is Jesus, and finally he goes through this crucifixion thing, and everyone goes, Oh, that's who they're talking about, <laughs> you know, at that point. And, and we submitted that to the Native American Music Awards, and it, it won. Best Spoken Word. It was crazy, you know, and I thought, well, this, this is touching some people. This is meaningful to some people. We got some negative feedback, but I, I'd say 95, almost 99% was positive feedback. And so uh, eventually it turned into, okay, we're going to do this somehow. I'm going to do this somehow. And it tur- I turned into a we.
1: Are you are you coming from a translating background? Are, are you a scholar in those areas? Or, I mean, how did you gather the team?
2: I am not a scholar in those areas. And, you know, I, I willingly admit it. I'm not, a, you know, I, I love theology. I study the Bible. I know the scriptures. I pastored churches. I've read the Bible cover to cover several times. But to be a Bible translator, come on. But what happened was, uh, as I committed myself to this process, a Bible translation organization found out what I was doing. One book in Canada, and they're part of the uh, the Global Alliance of Translators, Wycliffe Global Alliance. And they reached out to me and said, hey, we like what you're doing. How would you like some help and, and have an organization come behind you to give it credibility? And to me, that was an answer to prayer. Now, I've got some teeth behind this. You know, I've got some real people out there who uh, know how to translate the Bible and who will do this. But what I loved about one book, different than other branches of Wycliffe, was that it, the, the uh, indigenous people do the work of translating. And one book gives them the expertise, backup, help, whatever they need to do it. But they do it and they raise the funding for you to do it
1: is the Canadian connection why it's called the first Nations version because first nations is a is an I associate that with Canadian indigenous people
2: it, it is we have an explanation in the opening of the book that explains why we use the term first Nations version it's becoming more widely used beyond Canada, but yeah it did start in Canada, and we thought it was a it was a a good way instead of saying Indian version or native American version or or, or whatever it, it just had a better feel to it
1: yeah i agree i agree i i really like that right away i the idea of first nation i just right away get it you get it right like it's it tells you a a story just the title itself tells you the, Absolutely. What, what you need to know so tell me about the the um what reception of this have you felt, like what kind of critical reception, I don't mean in a negative way, but I mean like from other Bible people, from other people who are using the Bible in their work, like how, how have you found the reception of this First Nations version? Well, first of all, um, one book and
2: Wycliffe Associates helped us form a council of translators you know, a council of people, none of them were professionally trained, but some were pastors, ministry leaders, others were young and old. And we had a, a 12 people who I had built relationships with over the years, uh, a native from, oh gosh, many different tribes. Uh, we had Navajo and and uh, Cherokee and and Wasco and Klingit uh, uh, and all many different kinds of tribes. I don't know, at least 50, 20 some tribal heritages right in our translation council um, but that council came through relationships uh you have different christian backgrounds or all, they were all christian f- followers of jesus um some of us don't like to use the word christian we would rather use jesus followers we Harry, you
1: are you are basically speaking the reason this whole podcast exists in the first place <laughs> because of the baggage yeah. connected with the with exactly. the term christian yeah exactly and and uh, and
2: so yeah. It wasn't Uh,
1: followers of Jesus who were committing genocide on the first nations people.
2: That's right. That's right. right. It was
1: Christians, but it wasn't followers of Jesus.
2: Yep. And uh, so um, we, we spent a lot of time putting this together. And what we did was we got Luke done first, Luke and Ephesians. We wanted a gospel and a, and a letter. And then we, we, we had hundreds of copies sent out to, uh, uh, Native people all over in Canada and in the us and and um, uh, getting getting it into the hands of people doing ministry and some that don't do ministry what do you think of this and we had a survey online and we got feedback and the feedback was was ninety percent positive and the negative feedback wasn't that they just didn't like it. Some thought, well, we don't need this. We, we already have English and we're, we're okay with it, you know? And we're happy with our King James version or whatever it was. And I'm thinking, talk about relevancy. That's a little out of date, you know? We're happy with our 1666 version, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes people say, well, you're using kind of an old native way of speaking, not the modern native way of speaking. And we said, yeah, that's right. That was intentional. You know we it's like our elders telling us the story of jesus okay okay our our elders and 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 a lot of native people young and old have come back to us after reading and said it felt like my grandpa sitting at the table and telling me the story of jesus just like he would tell other stories traditional stories that was one of the goals of this and so the negative feedback sometimes we get people who are just you know anti-christians i mean like like you've talked about it and and they say hey what are you doing they're they're like yeah. why would you use this religion from this faraway country to to uh you know try to convert our native people you know this yes. is a bad thing and so we i just respectfully let them know why we do it and and that there are native people who have found freedom in life through jesus And we want to give Native people a chance kind of from a more Native perspective, decolonizing the Scripture, so to speak, and attempt to do that. And let them make their own minds up about Jesus. You know, there there was one person who's a friend of mine who I invited to be on the Translation Council that still to this day doesn't doesn't like it. And it happens. uh, And it's not for everyone. But already we've had people come to faith because of reading it and we've had native people come to faith because of reading it and we've also had people who have stayed in the faith that were ready to leave because of reading it um it's given them new hope and a, a new perspective and so um i'm happy we have it i i think it's a, i think it's going to touch a lot of people it already has the whole five years it took to to do this translation it, it, we weren't doing it in secret. It was a wide open thing. We had a Facebook page. We had um, native uh, people who came on to the project, help be. They were reviewers and give feedback um, on the understanding, on the cultural relevance, all these different things. And some people would hop on for a while. We had other people that stayed through the whole project, and so so lots of different native people involved. And we had some non-Native
1: people as, as helpers involved in this also. Why do you think, um, like I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, that uh, some of my listeners, I put the word out sort of on Instagram, oh, I'm going to be interviewing Terry Wildman and did a picture of the cover of the First Nations version. And it it got more interest, that that post, than most of my others. And um, I I just noticed there was kind of a buzz, a chatter, and people wanted to ask questions. And I I'm assuming most of the people that, indicated interest are not themselves Native Americans. Why do you think Caucasians or non-natives are interested in this version? Why do you think it's achieved some kind of buzz about this?
2: Well, I think there's always been somewhat of a romantic idea of Native culture that people have always been attracted to, non-Native people. And so you you have your Hollywood idea of the uh, the perfect native culture we never had a perfect culture and even a lot of christians who feel called into native ministry they have this romantic idea of what it's going to be like and it's nothing nothing like they expect and they often drop out i mean they they give up because the 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 issues are so big and so far reaching they, they it just feels like an impossible task Uh, to 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 be involved in and then when you do get the negative feedback when you have to sit with a native elder who says why did they kill our babies why did these spaniards come for the hopis why did the spaniards come and and kill our babies and and take our children away from us and all these different things that went on where was i on on on, what am i answering here well
1: i you were (laughs) i think you were telling me a little bit about that there's a kind of a sentimental gloss that, there, yes, people go into. They they have goodwill, like a good heart, right? They they have goodwill, but it's that maybe it's that kind of evangelical sentimentalism I talked about before, mm-hmm. which isn't enough once it comes up against systematic generational evil on a industrial scale. Your sentimentalism yeah. just doesn't
2: work, right? And Richard Twistfeld, uh he was one who always said that Native Americans of all people right now today, he would tell this to evangelicals, Native Americans are positioned as believers in Jesus to get into places to share Jesus where you're not allowed, if you're non-Native. And he experienced that going to Muslim countries, going to China, going to different places where they welcomed the, the Native Americans because, you know, oh yeah, the... You are the guys that had it all bad. We get you, you know, we want to hear your story. And then he would tell them the story about Jesus and about, yeah, all these terrible things happened, but we've forgiven now. We are working at healing and reconciliation and whoa, just a minute here. You know, sometimes uh, the, those people didn't want to hear that part of the story. Um, and I experienced my wife and I and a, a young Ojibwe man went to Israel and and on the Sea of Tiberias, we put our regalia on uh, got our hand drums out and, and my guitar, and we walked down uh, through the market there, and and we had over 100 people listening to us, uh, traditional Jewish people listening to us. And our interpreter, who was a, a, a Messianic believer, right, he was going, nobody else would ever be, be able to do what you're doing. They would kick them out of here. I, could t- I talked about Jesus. I talked about calling him Yeshua. I talked about how native people are praying for all the people of the land. There was a drought. We're praying for rain. And, and they were thanking us. They were hugging us, getting pictures with us, you know. And so, so there's, there's that part of it. Uh, in Germany, oh, my gosh, the Germans have powwows. They copy our powwows. And they invite native people to come over and dance at the powwows in germany i mean it's 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 really amazing I think the, the, the and here in the united states we don't we don't have that kind of sort of fame, but over in other countries we're, we're kind of famous and so uh, it, it's an interesting dynamic that uh, probably came out of the the wild West shows and all the different um uh, things that have been written, uh, the romanticized ideas and things like that. Um, but within those romanticized ideas, there's some truth. It connects to some things that are actual, uh, actually true about us. And so, it's you have to learn how to sort that out.
1: And, and for all that, there are Christians who are kind of sentimental about things. There are also others, including I think some of my listeners who, who are genuinely aware. Like there was some major. Repentance needed to be done. I need to dismantle the white Christianity that I was inherited and and to find a First Nations Bible is is a genuine kind of help to somebody I think to help to re see or relearn old things in new ways, maybe I don't, I I wonder whether there's something going on there as well that it's a resource for for people who are themselves aware of the colonial imperial kind of nature that they inherited.
2: Right. Well colonialism has a colonialism has affected the world. Yes. I call it the sin of the world. Is colonialism, okay? And the sad thing is that the Christians were deeply embedded and actually pushing colonialism from so many perspectives perspectives. I have a friend in the UK, Harry Smith, who wrote uh he worked in uh in Northern Ireland. He's from Northern Ireland, he worked for reconciliation between Catholics and Protestants, wrote a book about it, and now he's involved a lot because of his studies of the Doctrine of Discovery and the different things that happened. He has written a book uh, about how the idea came from the Catholics to the Protestants, who then brought it over to the U.S., and uh, how it impacted our Native people here. And so he has he wrote a book about uh, about that. He'd he'd be a great guy to have yeah, on your show. Uh,
1: I would love to. Can you very quickly tell us the doctrine of discovery? Could you encapsulate that for people who might not have heard that phrase before?
2: Well, somewhere back, uh, I think it was in the 1500-1600 era. All these Christian nations were fighting against each other, and uh, in different ways. And and the uh, within the Catholic Church, and and they were discovering new places. And then they would fight over these new places. Who gets to claim these? Does Spain get to claim this? And then they would fight and have wars over claiming this new territory uh, for their country and for their nation. So the Pope, I guess, he came out with this idea that, well, let's let's um, let's have a rule about this. Okay, we'll call and he call it, it was called the doctrine of discovery. Whoever discovers a land that is not already inhabited by Christians has the right to claim that land. So the first ones to discover it, and they have to physically touch that land and be on that land to claim That's it. Flag. yeah, Flag. And, and, uh, and so they get to be the ones to claim it for their nation and then yeah. reap the benefits of all the, uh, yeah. the things and conquer the people that are there, uh, to try to bring Jesus to them. Uh, excuse me, but, uh, It was really terrible.
1: I mean, the the nationalism is is front and center. It's this. It is. is So right there, right? It's all about the nation. Yeah. And that is part of what all uh, European Christians of any stripe have inherited is a doctrine of discovery. I mean, this would be the manifest destiny sort of of the Puritans and moving into America and thinking it was some empty land that they got to take over, right? Right. Well, and legally, John Marshall, our, our Supreme
2: Court uh, decided that we had the right that the United States had the right to take native land from, from the Cherokee and the other, uh, even the civilized tribes, uh, what they call the civilized tribes. And, and um, he used the doctrine of discovery as a precedent, a legal precedent, which is just unbelievable. You know, papal it's, document. Yeah. Yeah. Papal document uh, for that. So, so yeah, there's, there's a lot in, in, and I know some
1: people who really can talk into that a lot better than I can. I would love to talk off off air. I'm going to get some of these contacts with you. we'll we'll go for it. Just just directly interested in. Now, I mentioned some of some interest I had. I had a few people write in some questions and some of the questions were around. Actually, you have mentioned a number of different tribes and people groups. What was the process like? I mean, was it difficult to find idioms and expressions? when you translate the First Nations version, to all these different groups that were being represented? Or was it relatively easy to find something where where you could come up with expressions that everyone would agree with? What was the process like without you wanting to be a colonial yourself and impose (laughs) one type of First Nations expression on everyone, right? Well, one
2: of the things we realized is that uh, we couldn't do a tribally specific. Right. You couldn't do an
1: Ojibwe First Nation. Right. If you
2: did Ojibwe or if you did Lakota, uh, it, it, would all, it would sound different if, if each tribe did their own English version. You'd have different words and different expressions. But we do know that there has been, because of English, there's, and because of our powwows and our gatherings, and reading books written by Native people, and even going back to Black Elk and Chief Joseph and and other writings of that early period where English was spoken more in a, I guess, closer to the original language. Than it is today to the, the original heart language. And so yeah. there were a lot of expressions. So I, I guess the idea came to me from a a, a little Bible that was called uh, the NIRV, which is a third grade reading level Bible, New, New International. The Readers. Reader's,
1: probably the Reader's New International Version. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's right. And so they had put an Indian cover on this uh, to make it, uh, you know, native friendly look with some Native designs. On the inside, there was an introduction and it was done by uh, someone I know and plus a a bunch of other Native people. And the introduction was wonderful. It used Mm -hmm. the word creator. It used other expressions of of, uh, the way a Native might talk about walking the road with Jesus or the Jesus way um, and, and different things. And I remember reading that, but then you'd go into the translation. The translation wasn't worded that way. and So I thought, why isn't there a translation worded this way? So so I started this whole process. I did two books on my own with, with some help from Native friends. Uh, one was called The Birth of the Chosen One, which was a Christmas story. And I did another one, which was a harmony of the four gospels when the great spirit walked among us. And through that process, I, I read Black Elk, I read Chief Joseph, I immersed myself in, in this kind of way of speaking that was older and traditional way of speaking English that a lot of natives are connecting to. Uh, they're connecting to those books and that way of speaking. If you go to a, a powwow and listen to the stories in the tents, you'll hear more of that style of speaking during the storytelling times um, and things like that. So you know, it took time to kind of come up with that. And then we we formed a translation council. And the council, Wycliffe has about 185 to 200 key words to translate the New Testament with. You got to get these words right. So what we did is our council sat down, we went through every one of those words, and we came up with an English equivalent of how it would relate better to our native people. And that's one of the parts of the process that we went through.
1: Oh, let's t- let's talk a bit about that. I mean, one of the first things that you notice if you flip through it, like just opening it up, the f- the first thing you'll notice is the naming to the yes. uh, nomenclature. So as you said, rather than Peter, it's, what is it, st- stands on the rock? Stands on the rock. You know, um, and that's one of the first things that we notice, it just leaps off the page. And is that a tradition that's across uh, all... Indigenous groups. Then, is that something recognized by? That is
2: recognized by, as far as I know, all of our tribal people have always the names had meaning and they were given to them at different points in their life. Many Native people have more than one name, right? Like like Peter does uh, in, in the New Testament. This has been the primary thing that people have said they love the Native people. They love the. Uh, meaning of the name being put into the Bible text. They relate to that.
1: Yeah. What, 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 what do you think it does to the story or to our imaginations when we, when we see that, what do you think is happening to us when we, beat
2: sometimes that? the meaning of the name plays into the story. Amazingly. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, so um, you know, one time uh, when Jesus calls Peter in, 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 Matthew 16, the famous evangelical verse uh, um, where where um, uh, he, he says who, who do you say that I am you know, and and Peter says uh, he he says to Peter after Peter gives the answer his answer he says he calls him Simon he he uses his his older Old name, name yeah right his family name where another place where he uses Simon Simon wasn't hearing so well. Yeah, the old okay. man. Yeah, Simon okay. means one who hears or hearing person yeah. or yeah. hearing uh, in, in that context. Um, and he wasn't hearing very well. And so it played into the story of father of many nations, his name, Abraham. Obviously, uh, Paul uses that theologically to make his point that his name actually means what he was called to do. And that's how Native people... Our names had to do with our place within our clan or our, our tribe, our, our nation. And uh, uh, the name was something you lived into.
1: Can you tell us about the, how you uh, settled on the name of Jesus? Because I had some listeners ask me about that one. How did, how did you settle? What, was, what do you call Jesus and how did you settle on that?
2: Well, actually, in the, in the glossary in the back, that's one we definitely had to explain. Well, Jesus' name, Yeshua, comes from the the Hebrew of the Old Testament. It's Yesu in the Greek, translated over to Yesu. But the meaning of his name, uh, Yeshua, is is the shortened version of the name Yahweh, Yah, which is the the, the name for creator. Uh, And uh, the word uh, Shua, or I'm not sure how it's pronounced right now, but the rest of his name means to deliver, to set free, to save. So it would be Yah sets free or Yah delivers. And so Jesus becomes creator, Yah sets free. And right in, in I think it's in Matthew, it says, they gave him the name creator sets free because he would set his people free from their bad hearts and broken ways. So that's one idea of uh, shows you how we came across
1: the name Jesus that way. I love it. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. And and for gospel, what, what, um, is this God's good, uh, creator's good way? Is that right? Is that the gospel?
2: Gospel is good story. Oh, okay. Creator's good story is the gospel. Um, and, uh, you know, some translations have, uh, uh, English translations have used good news for that, for that word. We, we felt the, the good story was a better application to our people, who are traditionally storytellers.
1: And it's reconnecting people back to that, like you said, that, that that tradition of listening to elders tell a story. You're joining up a lot of threads here. You're joining up people to their to their own elders. You're joining up one tradition back to another ancient Jewish tradition that people wouldn't think was relevant to them. You're you're joining. Caucasian Christians to a, to a culture that they now need to see with fresh eyes. this, this one book is joining together a lot of different threads, isn't it?
2: It really is. And, and, you know, it actually surprises us sometimes. We've had Greek scholars write back to us and go, wow. I never saw (laughs) it that way. Yeah. They just say, this is, we applaud this. A native, a native Bible school, Greek teaches Greek in Bible school in Canada said he applauded this version. I, I can't remember his name. It was one of our initial feedback. We have we had another a, a friend who's a part of Montana Indian Ministries who's Southern Baptist Ministry, but he's very uh, contextual in his approach to sharing Jesus with his people. And he got a hold of the copy of this before he ever knew me. And he was he loved it, but he was very nervous about it. It sounded too native, you know? and so he gives it to somebody in the Southern Baptist Church who's a Greek scholar he says is this is this a good translation and the guy he says that scholar gave it back and said it's a good one he says it's actually better than some in certain areas uh that they, they've been more accurate uh in that he says so you can trust this one so he adopted that for their whole Montana Indian ministries I and mean, we've had several ministries uh in our, Native intervarsity and crew nations—they use this in their native ministries as their Bible. Other other organizations are starting to adopt it more and more for their New Testament.
1: When you were working on it, what what was what gave you joy? Were there any surprising joyful moments that popped out at you? That
2: oh gosh, too many to, to count. You know, being so immersed in the story of Jesus in the Gospels. You know, when I was first raised in the church evangelical church i i was sort of a disciple of paul you know and and i didn't spend much time in the gospels you know because i figured well you know that was for the jewish people and paul's talking to the gentiles here and so on. you know since i'm a gentile i'm going to listen to paul you know and i but the problem was i was interpreting jesus by paul instead of the other way around when i immersed myself in the gospels i i just I entered a whole new world in my faith. And to actually have to think it through, you know, looking at the Greek, uh, you, I, I use Logos Bible software. It's actually available in Logos Bible software now. They're they're making it available. And, and I we, we have the United Bible Society is has a translator's guide to translate into other cultures. It's written in English, but it gives translators ideas. Well, I use that all the time. You know, I'm not a Greek scholar but I know how to access Greek scholars. I know how to read that. And they would say, okay, translator, you're coming to this point here. And and now you've got to make a decision, which way are you gonna go? Here are the theological issues. And you can go both ways, you have to decide. And so we would make decisions, Uh, you know, those, those decisions were submitted to our council, to our reviewers and to a consultant with over 50 years experience with indigenous tribes so yeah as as I had to rethink this, it was it it just Jesus became alive to me in a new way. I saw him more as an indigenous person, speaking within his own people, to his own people, and correcting all the misconceptions about that they had about the Creator and you know again, within our native people, to be honest with you, and this is total honesty, I think native people in North America here were closer than the than than the Puritans who and the other people who were trying to bring the gospel to us, we were already living it out better than they were. And it's just crazy. But 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 again, within our native people, you know, we're not perfect. We're broken people too. We have wars against each other, and we some of us tried conquering each other, and things like that went on. Some were more peaceful, less peaceful. Peaceful. I I believe the teachings of Jesus are are valuable to our native people, and they reinforce who we are as native people.
1: Do you know? I'd I'd love to talk with you a little bit about this if you have time still. I'll take time uh, because I'm a uh, because my work is all about nationalism and national identity, and I and I find in the in the gospel story in jesus story in the first christian movement something deeply antithetical actually to what we would today recognize as nationalism or allegiance to your home ethnic group right right a lot of my language i end up using the word tribalism as if that's like jesus the jesus movement is a kind of against the tribal impulse in us to group with people that look like us and sound like us as much as possible but that language is also something deeply precious to First Nations people. The word "tribe" is precious, right? What? How do I talk about that? Because I, where where does Jesus where does Jesus challenge uh, First Nation imagination, and where does he affirm First Nation imagination?
2: Uh, I'll say it this way: the way I was raised within uh, evangelical Christianity, for example, looking at ceremonies. Or rituals. I was sort of an anti-ritual, anti-ceremony kind of guy. You know, I didn't have a sacramental view of communion or baptism. They were just simply symbolic things you could do with, with or without. Empty religion. Well, one of the things I learned, it's it's possible to have a ceremony, and native people know this, to do ceremony without having your heart in it. Right, right. Jesus wasn't against ceremonies he was against empty rituals empty ceremonies you 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 do these things but your hearts are far from me right you yeah. go through all these rituals he wasn't right. against the jewish culture he was against the way they were interpreting the law the way they were interpreting and applying the law in in the wrong way they were using the law for the wrong purposes within the, their covenant agreement with the creator and Native people understand that. We have medicine people and spiritual leaders who sometimes are bad-hearted and using the wrong things. Uh, in my own Ojibwe uh, culture, we 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 hate uh, witchcraft. We know witchcraft is improper to control people through spiritual powers to try to control people and dominate over people. Uh, but yet some of our people still do it. So to try to answer your question on the tribalism part, there's nothing wrong with identifying yourself
1: within an ethnic group. Well, we just are. It's non-optional, isn't it? We all are. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's who we are. Yeah.
2: And God and God does not want to take that away from us. You know, when He says in in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, it doesn't mean that Gentiles cease to exist or Jews cease to exist ethnically. Okay we're neither male nor female but yet we still have male and female gender identities um and and we're not asked to you know and and there are but we what it is is Paul saying these things should no longer separate us they should no longer cause us to fight he's broken down the walls between us now our native people had a value for gathering t- different tribes together we had intertribal gatherings and and those things I affirm, but when a tribe just all by itself says we're the only ones, we're going to be against everybody else, well, that's, that's wrong, and I believe the teachings of Jesus will correct that. So tri- tribalism as a way of setting your tribe above everybody else, uh, or is better than everybody else, is the wrong approach, but tribes themselves are not necessarily tribalistic.
1: Yeah, right. No, okay, this is good. I, I just need to find better language because I don't want to. Anyway, I just need to find better language in my own work. But this isn't about we me. all do.
2: That's what the <laughs> First Nation version was
1: all about: was finding better language. Is that Jesus? So Terry, if you if you think back to, I'm thinking of the fresh faced Terry who showed up with the Hopi uh, reservation with his Bible under his arm, and he and he was totally naive. If this was a if this podcast was a time machine, what would you tell? Fresh face Terry, now uh, what do you know now that you wish he knew then?
2: I already knew that the going in that the church was messed up, okay, uh, because we're so divided into so many denominations and everything. I had that going for me at the time. I I, I had my own criticism of what the church was, and and um, I didn't like affiliating with a certain organization, although sometimes I had to, uh, against especially against other organizations, but i had to learn to listen okay i would say terry learn to listen better don't try to talk over people but listen and learn and earn the respect needed by listening and hearing and when if you'll do that then you'll earn the respect to speak to other native people and and so that's what i had to learn and i had to learn also not to be a sh- Uh, ashamed to connect to my native heritage. I I struggled with that in the beginning. You know, I wasn't enough of a real Indian. Okay. But I eventually I met enough people that affirmed me and brought me in and and welcomed me among the Hopi and many other different tribal groups. And I've been, now I've had a couple of native mentors who have mentored me in Anishinaabe ways and, and everything. So those are some of
1: the things I might tell myself. I love it. Don't be in a hurry. (laughs) Don't be hurry. (laughs) Listen, and be proud, or find find ways to connect back to your own native roots, which is what this First Nations version is doing, isn't it? I mean, this. Yes, absolutely. Terry Wildman, where can people go? I know people are going to want to find out more about you and this work. Where Where would you recommend people go to get more information?
2: The the simplest place would be uh, go to our website. You can connect with everything there com. Okay. And and there you can learn about the First Nations version. You can find out where to buy it. You can read about the translation process. You can see the faces of our translation council. Um, and, and also you can learn about our, our we have a, a music ministry also that led up into this, that my wife and I still do music in different places. We just came from Michigan last week where we did a native gathering uh, with uh, the little members of the Little Traverse Band of Ottawa and Chippewa. And then we we met with uh, some churches in Traverse City. Uh, we had actually uh, leaders from th- 20 churches and 30 different ministries yeah. come together to, to a Q&A to talk to me about this translation and stuff. It was really amazing. Walter Brueggemann was there. Can you believe that? That's wonderful.
1: Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, if you need a stamp of approval, then you don't get much more <laughs> approval stamping than Walter bruggeman So, and and the music—it's with your wife. It's Rain Song. Is that right? Is that what you? Yeah, Rain you Song. Make music with your wife.
2: Okay. Uh, uh, First Nations music and storytelling is what we used to call ourselves, but but we uh, we do a bridge of music that touches both cultures, okay. helps bring
1: our cultures together a little bit. Well, I love it. I'll put I'll put some links in the show notes as well for people, but firstnationsversion.com, I think is, they'll, anything they need will come from there, I suspect.
2: Do you have time to, cl- if I could close with a scripture? Yes, a please do. I was scripture? going to
1: ask, what, is your, what passage would you like to represent?
2: Well, I think today I really like the Beatitudes, the good words, the good way of seeing a creator and, and uh, who does creator's blessing rest upon? Creator's blessing rests on the poor, the ones with broken spirits. The good road from above is theirs to walk. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who walk a trail of tears, for he will will wipe the tears from their eyes and comfort them. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who walk softly and in a humble manner. The earth, land, and sky will welcome them and always be their home. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who hunger and thirst for wrongs to be made right again. They will eat and drink until they are full. Creator's blessing rests on the ones who are merciful and kind to others. Their kindness will find its way back to them, full circle. Creator's blessing rests on the pure of heart, for they are the ones who will see the Great Spirit. Greater's blessing rests on the ones who make peace. It will be said of them, they are the children of the great spirit. I'll have to say this. I say, miigwech. Thank you. Miigwech. Thank you for listening.
1: Terry Waldman, thank you for blessing us with this hour. I've so enjoyed it. And I, I, can't, I can't recommend this version enough. This is a voice we need to hear much more in our lives thank you for coming on the show Witch. to further support the show please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts follow us on social media and learn more about 10th theology at www10 thank you for joining us and God bless you.
0: the hand of the To help the warriors make their stand The lies that have been spoken To rob our pride and dignity Were not the words of Jesus He suffered shame To set us free Rise up and dance Let the warriors take their stand. Rise up and dance our prayers for the healing of our land. Rise up and dance our prayers to the pounding of a drum, to the rhythm of his love. Rise up and Dance, rise up and dance. The father's heart is beating like the pounding of a drum, the rhythms of and dance our prayers Let the warriors take their stand Rise up and dance our prayers For the healing of our land Rise up and dance our prayers To the pounding of a drum To the rhythm up and dance Rise up and dance dance our prayers for the healing of our land. Rise up and dance our prayers to the pounding of a drum, to the rhythm of his love. Rise up and dance Yeah, yeah, yeah.